Hello, and welcome to a History of Egypt podcast mini-episode, Opet Festivities. This is the second episode in our series on the months of the Egyptian year, as they were recorded in the 18th dynasty, a period when we have relatively complete sequences of festivals, events, and rituals that occurred throughout the calendar year. For part one of this 12-part series, look to the episode released on January 29th, titled New Year's festivities. For now, let's dig into month number two. The second month in the Egyptian year was called either Menchet, meaning to clothe, or it was called Faofi, aka Pa Ni Ipet, or Pa Opet. I'm going to call it Pa Opet because Opet was the name of the festival which dominated and defined this month during the period of the New Kingdom. In later eras, like that of the Greeks and Romans, the second month came to be known as Baba, but we'll forget about that for now. So, welcome to month number two, the month of Pa Opet. In terms of the Western Gregorian calendar, Pa Opet started in early September. In the Egyptian calendar, Pa-Opet was the second month of the first season, the season of Akhet. This was an important time of year. Now, the annual flooding of the Nile had begun in earnest. The waters of the river were on the rise and beginning to overflow their banks. The fertilization of the fields was beginning. Because the flood was properly underway, the Egyptian religious year now moved into the second phase of its annual celebration of the god Osiris. Osiris, murdered by his brother Seth, had been dismembered and scattered throughout Egypt. His wife Isis was in mourning, and it was her tears which supposedly caused the flooding of the Nile. So to people who worshipped Osiris, the second month of the year was the second important period in the renewal of the world. In the first month, they had commemorated his death. Now, the priests turned their attention to the process of bringing Osiris back to life. There were several festivals in the second month. The first, on day four, was a ritual called Henep Sa, or Pouring the Sand. This one is kind of vague, but it may have something to do with the death of Osiris. We know that in Egyptian funerals, mourners would throw sand over their heads. It was both a sign of grief and a way of purifying themselves in the company of death. So, with the death of Osiris still fresh in their memory, the priests may have performed this Henep Sa ritual in honour of the great god. The day after pouring the sand, there was a festival to Osiris proper. By now, Osiris had been dead for about two weeks, and so his mummification had barely started. The floodwaters were rising with Isis's tears, the treacherous Seth was in ascendancy, and the world was in a period of mourning. But the month of Pa-Opet did not feature any significant milestones in the Osiris story. So, once they had completed their mourning rituals and held a small festival for him, the Egyptians moved on to other things. 
The first 15 days of Pa Opet were pretty low-key, all things considered. Perhaps everyone was still nursing their collective hangover from the festival of drunkenness at New Year's. They kept their heads down, enjoyed a short holiday while the fields were submerged, and they got on with their daily business. Day 15 was the day when the month's true religious business began. This was the same in the month of Pa Opet as it had been last month. The middle of the lunar cycle was when the great festivals were performed. In the royal city of Thebes, at the temple of Karnak, the priests and officials were already hard at work preparing for another festival. If the first month had been dedicated to Osiris and to the renewal of the year, the second month was dedicated to the celebration and renewal of the king. On day 15, the priesthood of Karnak began its annual celebration, an enormous festival dedicated to the veneration of the king and to the power of the divine monarchy. This was the festival called Epet. Epet, more commonly known as Opet, comes from the Egyptian word for harem or sanctuary. The festival of Opet was focused in large part on a temple which shared the name, the temple of Epet Reshit, or the southern sanctuary. The temple of Epet Reshit still exists, except today we call it Luxor Temple. This temple was the centre of the festival, and it played a large role. Apart from referring to Luxor Temple, the word Epet or Opet also refers to a goddess. This was a goddess sacred to Thebes, and her name was, well, Epet. She's not a big part of the festival though, so I'm going to leave her for a later episode. For now, we'll just stick to the celebrations. The festival of Epet, or Opet, was a complex affair. It is far too big to explain fully here. For one thing, Egyptologists are still unpacking the nitty-gritty of it. For another, the festival changed and evolved a lot during the New Kingdom. So I'll revisit it a couple of times in the coming episodes, most especially in the age of the Ramesid kings, kings who played a big role in shaping the Opet festival down the line. For now, this is more of a flyby. The Epet festival started on day 15 of the second month. It was a big one. This festival took 11 days to celebrate in full. In later centuries, it was enlarged to no fewer than 27 days. So yeah, Opet was huge. It had lots of sub-festivals and components going into the larger whole, and there were a variety of different gods and goddesses featured in the affair. Overall, the festival of Opet was dedicated to four beings. First and foremost, there was the king. Secondly, there was Amun-Ra, king of the gods. Then Mut, Amun's wife. And finally, Konsu, the son of Amun and Mut. These three gods were the patron deities of Karnak Temple. So, in the New Kingdom, they were the most important gods in the city of Thebes. Other important gods of the city, like Epet or Montu, were now secondary. The Theban trinity was in the ascendancy. The festival of Opet began with a procession. The priests of Karnak, led by the king as the high priest, carried the statues of the great gods, Amun, Mut, and Khonsu, out of the great Karnak temple. They placed these golden statues of the gods onto their portable shrines, or barks, 
and led them in a grand procession from Karnak down to another temple to the south. This was the temple of Ipet Rashit, or Luxor Temple. The statue and the priests marched solemnly out of the Amun Temple. Musicians played sistrums and drums, priests sang hymns, incense burners filled the air with the spicy scent of purification. The whole collective of worshippers went out in a solemn parade, heading down a long road towards the Ipet Rashit. On the way to Luxor Temple, the procession stopped at six different shrines. From the reign of Hatshepsut, who left us the first artistic representation of the festival, we know that these six shrines contained statues of the king in the form of Osiris. So just like the festivals which had taken place earlier in the month, the Opet festival was part of the grand, overarching narrative of Osiris worship that happened in the first few months of the year. Even if it was dedicated mostly to the king, you couldn't ignore Osiris. The statues of the king as Osiris were greeted by the statues of Amun and company. The priests made offerings at each shrine, before continuing on their way. Eventually, they reached the great Luxor temple itself. There, the king and the priests made offerings to the royal Ka, the essence or vitality and spirit of kingship. In other words, they worked to revitalize the king's divine energy, to make him powerful and potent for the year ahead. Just like the festivals of Osiris in month one, the festival of Opet was aimed at renewing the energy of life and of nature as the year began. In this case, it was the natural power of the ruler. To the Egyptians, that was still incredibly important. After their worship in the temple of Luxor, Ipet Reshit, the procession now left once again. This time, the priests headed west, out of the temple, and down towards the Nile River. Why? Well, the procession was now going to board a number of royal boats, and sail northward down the Nile, back towards Karnak Temple. This procession of sailing boats was a very big deal. As the ships sailed downriver, the crowds would come out, lining the riverbank to catch a glimpse, from afar, of two things which they saw very rarely, the king and the statues of the gods. The Opet festival, you see, was dominated by public processions and visibility. We're not certain why, but it may be that it was important to a show the population that the rituals and celebrations were being done properly to protect the world, and b to allow the general populace to make their own offerings to the king. A commoner did not get many chances to see the ruler or interact with them in any capacity. Even when kings went out on campaign or out to do public works, they were usually surrounded by bodyguards and officials. No one common was getting particularly close to them, unless they were fortunate. So, for most of the population, this was the closest they got to the ruler. And it was, well, it was a photo opportunity, like nothing you've ever seen. The procession sailed down the Nile, watched by the crowds, until it reached the jetties and wharfs next to Karnak Temple. There, the priests, the god, and the king disembarked and marched slowly back into the great enclosure. 
coming full circle, the gods were returned to their shrines, offerings were made to their images, and the priests closed up the temple once more. The annual festival was over. Karnak was secluded again. Now, the Opet festival took place over eleven days or so, but it's not clear whether the procession was done all in one day, and then followed by smaller sub-festivals, or whether the whole thing was strung out over time. Either way, there were lots of other small events going on during this period. I'll explore them in later episodes. There were other festivals going on throughout Egypt during the second month, so to round this episode out, I'll now take a brief look at them. The Great Opet Festival was centralised in Thebes. To the south of Thebes, the town of Elephantine was also enjoying a period of great activity. While the Opet Festival was starting, the locals living on this river island were beginning their own celebrations. The people of Elephantine, living near the southern borders of Egypt, held two festivals in the month of Pa-Opet. The first, on day 18, was dedicated to the god Kanum and to the goddess Anuket. Kanum was a human male with the head of a ram, and he sat at a potter's wheel. His role, as you might guess, was that of a potter. According to myth, Kanum lived far to the south in Sudan, where the Nile was thought to originate. There, he used Nile mud to create new animals, and in one cosmology, Kanum was said to be the god who created humanity and fashioned us in our current form. Worship of Kanum took many forms, but the most famous was the Egyptians' habit of burying mummified rams in the sacred temple of the god. This probably developed from the New Kingdom onwards, since mummification was expensive in earlier times. Basically, it represented offerings to the god and respectful worship of him by offering his image, preserved for eternity, back. The festival of Kanum was recorded in the days of Thutmose III, so at the very least it was popular in the 18th dynasty. But Kanum is a seriously old god. Worship of Kanum had been going on since the Old Kingdom at least. So this festival was probably quite old. Even if they had changed it over time, the locals were building on a tradition at least 1,000 years old by the time of Thutmose III. The festival on day 18th was also dedicated to a goddess, a goddess named Anuket, or Anukis. Anukis was the lady of the southern border. She watched over the lands which separated Egypt from its enemies to the south. She was a maternal figure, whose name meant embracer, but she was also a guardian, whose name could also mean squeezer. So, she protected Egyptians and she destroyed enemies. A good goddess to have on your side. Which is why the goddess Anukis actually received two festivals at Elephantine in this month. The first one was on day 18 alongside Kanum. The second festival was ten days later on the 28th with the goddess Satet. Anukis, supposedly, was the daughter of Kanum and Satet's union, so she was worshipped alongside her father and alongside her mother. This made the second month a month for celebrating the Elephantine Triad, Kanum, Satet, and Anukis. The locals on this island must have had a busy schedule. The second month of the year was a bit subdued compared to the first. This is probably natural, there was a come-down off the high of a new year. 
The flood was now in full swing, so the fields were underwater, and the farmers were not out cultivating every day. In other words, it was a period of all too brief respite from the intense grind of subsistence farming. People were moving at a slightly slower pace. Outside of the royal city at Thebes and the border town of Elephantine, Egyptians seem to have had a month with no significant festivals. Was this a good thing? Well, it's kind of good and bad. It was less work for priests and the various workers who supplied the temples. On the other hand, it was less free food or drink for the locals. So I guess it was a 50-50 situation. As the second month drew to a close, Egyptians continued to enjoy the return of the Nile flood. The weather was cooling down mercifully. The fields were submerged, and economic life had slowed down slightly. Of course, for many, this was a time to look for other work. Farmers, rather than idling at home, would spend the first few months of the year working on construction projects. If there were public works going on in their local region, they would go offer themselves for employment on those jobs. Whether it was a pyramid in the Old and Middle Kingdoms, or a great temple, the farmers swapped their hoes for the gruelling work of construction labour. Fortunately, the third month, which was about to begin, was full of festivals. There were going to be at least six in the coming month, and the public could look forward to small celebrations at each one. Next time, we're going to explore the third month of the year, the month called Hathor. Hathor.